Welcome back to another episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Today, you are joined by the fantastic four, Jack, myself, DY, and Lawrence. But of course, today, we do have a very special guest, Mr. BK, Brandon Kempter. And this is his second time on the podcast. However, the difference is being that he now resides in God's land, Bali. Uh, clearly because you're the most tan person on this podcast, mate. Uh, Lawrence may take the crown of that in about two days' time. But uh, how are you, my man? I'm very well. And I, whilst I might be the most tan gentleman on this podcast, I'm still the whitest person in Indonesia. So go figure. But mate, all is well uh, on all fronts. Obviously, we all as coaches are starting to wind on now for season B, which is always a really exciting time. Obviously, Lawrence on stage in three days. And um, got to give him credit here. Obviously, at the time of recording, three three days until his first show for the season. He's still showing up, ready to rock and roll. But uh, very exciting time all around. Mm, absolutely. So, mate, it'll be good to um, to just catch up with you and obviously catch up with the boys as well, because I think it's been a good stretch of time between we've all, you know, given a bit of an update as to kind of where we're at, right? So, I, uh, you know, in terms of, I guess, where the season's starting and where our athletes are at and maybe the season and the the, the shows that we intend on, you know, attending or, or shows that we're most excited for. And, uh, yeah, so, mate, B, take it away. Like, how, how's training at the moment? I know, obviously, you're... Uh, you're absolutely sending it. I see you put posts and videos up. We talk about it every week about how our training is going and, and things are in a good spot. Maybe just give the listeners a bit of a rundown as to where you're at. Yeah, absolutely. The training's been good in recent times. Uh, obviously, this is my longest off season to date. And I will say for the first time in my career, there was a couple of patches here and there where training was okay, as opposed to great by virtue of, you know, dedicating a bit more of my attention to other areas of life. Uh, like our athletes, for example, moving country, that sort of thing. I, but even in that scenario, when training is good, it's it might be someone else's definition of great. I just believe that there's it's the one percenters that make the, the best bodybuilders or the best athletes in general. Uh, but in recent times, the consistency's been there. It's been great. Uh, training times have been a bit later than I would would hope, uh, as I am <clears throat> no longer training in the morning because there is a time difference. And having a good portion of our athletes in Australia means I'm training through the night or in the night rather. But uh, we are doing well, and as you and I discussed for the coming year, we're still deliberating, uh, I suppose myself, yourself, uh, my fiance, et cetera. We're all kind of talking, okay, where, where am I going to compete next? So sometime in the coming year, whether that be in the center section in sort of July uh, or the back end of the year is, is yet to be seen. But either way, I'm excited for it. I'm equally excited to see you jump back on stage in the future, though I understand your timeline's a little bit longer, Dan. Mm, yeah, 2045 or something like that, I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll be catching Jack at that stage showing too, by the sound of it. How recent Maybe years just. have gone. Yeah. yeah, 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 100%. No, I think that, that fire is, it, it lights even brighter, right? Every season that rolls around. So mm. I originally put forth 2025 for me, uh, which would be the the season. And um, yeah, I mean, as as that gets closer, the fire gets lighter and lighter. So I, I truthfully will never start a prep until I am 100% in. Like until that fire is is absolutely sky high and it's just bright as hell, that's that's when I'm commencing my prep because that's when I want it to be like an all-in experience and nothing I can reflect back on and go, oh, I could have done this better or could have maybe had more time for it, things like that. I think you're probably in a similar situation, B. That's probably why your off-season has been a little bit longer this time, like just waiting for the perfect scenario to kind of send it. I think we've all competed at a high level and we know what goes into it. You do put certain things on hold. And as I often say, when you compete, 
you know, or basically you compete when the mind is ready, the body is ready and the environment is ready. And those three, three things are all intertwined. If those aren't in alignment, don't do it. Another thing for individuals like us uh, in general is, I don't know, I can't speak for everyone, but I like to feel like I deserve things. So, you know, someone's like, do you want to take the pro card or not? And I'm like, I haven't earned it in that federation. I'm like, I don't want it. I want to earn it. That's, that's the fun. You know, once you've achieved whatever level, you're like, okay, what's next? That's a new equilibrium. Let's move on. So the process is part of what makes it awesome. And for me personally, in, in an off season, I want to know that I have, that sounds sadistic, but like, I, I want to know that I suffered for it. And now I'm like, I am here with nothing more that I could have done. That's the pleasure. Placing some stage. I mean, yeah, we like to win. We can't control that. But I mean, as, as Lawrence can attest in, in previous seasons and no doubt coming to this season, when you're backstage and you're chilling, you're waiting for your name to be called and you know in your heart of hearts, you're giving you 100%. I mean, there's a level of contentment that comes along with that. You're like, yeah, I'm good. Mm, 100%. Yeah, for sure. Well, Lawrence, mate, you're probably the most exciting person on this podcast right now because you're uh, you're exceptionally lean. You've sent us through some uh, some photos in the in the private chat. We, did, we got to see the glutes. They're looking pretty good. So uh, maybe just give us a lowdown as to how things are, mate. I know that you obviously gave a, a bit of an overview on your podcast as to kind of the plan of peak week and, and everything like that. But for any of the listeners that perhaps haven't listened to that potty, give us uh, an update on where you're at. Yeah, mate. The, uh, the BDU chat just gets the slightly more intimate pictures as per, as it should be with the boys, you know? So yeah, no, the glutes are, are looking sharp. Definitely the sharpest they've looked for a show one of the season, I think. But I think Joey and I are both in agreement that, you know, as the season goes on, there's probably a little bit more to pull off the rear shot in particular, but pretty happy with how the rest of the conditioning is looking. So hit a new low this morning, which was good. And I, I feel like the, the final day before you begin your carb up is probably the perfect time to do that. So we started the week with just two normal days, essentially, where we ran uh, 250 protein, 320 carb and 60 fat. So essentially just two normal days to start. And then we've approached this week with a bit more of a mid-load where we're doing two high days today and tomorrow. So that's with 200 protein, 630 carb and 65 fat. And then we'll do more of a moderate day on the Friday just so that we can let some of that kind of water and spillage slash fullness flatten out a little bit, but also not drop carbs too low so that we risk flattening out for show days. So uh, yeah, I think we're doing like 400 carb on the Friday, which should be a nice little in-between. But overall, mate, uh, I'm feeling fantastic. It's been nice to have some some high-carbohydrate meals today. I'm certainly feeling very lively. And yeah, I suppose this time tomorrow, I will have already landed in Townsville. So Joey and I head off at about midday tomorrow. So we'll get a little pumpy session in at the home gym before we uh, leave. And then tomorrow, once we land in Townsville, just be like, you know, get to the shops get a few bits and pieces, polish off steps, that sort of thing. Um, but no, mate, I'm, I'm feeling really, really good. I, I absolutely cannot wait to hit the stage on Saturday. I'm, I'm chomping at the bit for it. Just super excited for that show day experience. I can smell the tan already. <laughs> mate, it's very exciting. I actually had some dream tan delivered this morning. Dream tan, bloody hot stuff, like we're all about it. So, uh, mate, I'm super excited to see you up there and no doubt you're going to look your absolute best on that stage as well. Um, I, I love tropics. I'm even wearing a tropic shirt right now. Right. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm all about it, man. Well, uh, Jack, where are we at, dude? How are we, how are we feeling in this off season? Yeah. Things are progressing nicely. Uh, as you guys would know, I think from maybe two episodes ago now, I still dealing with a little bit of a for some forearm discomfort, which is gradually getting better. 
And I didn't actually say this on the podcast, but I did tweak uh, my left hamstring, same as Lawrence on RDLs. Fortunately, not quite to the same degree as him, but it was, I had to kind of take it easy for a couple of weeks. But aside from that, things are going well, happy with how the push-up is going. And I think especially since it will be my final push-up of this off-season, it, it is quite exciting. Like every week sort of brings me a little bit closer to pre-prep and then comp prep and it's uh, very easy to be externally motivated at this stage of the off season for me. So it's all just quite exciting. Mm, especially as obviously like the season kicks off and you see other competitors about to just jump on stage. I think that kind of gives us that psychological like oomph or push, mm. uh, even in terms of our own training, like seeing our athletes up there and everything like that. Yeah. So no, awesome, mate. What, what, um, what's the highest that you're going to get your weight up to in this next pushing phase? Probably about 95. Yeah, so I'm just over 91 at the moment and gain roughly about a kilo a month for until January and then start pre-prep in January. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I got to about 95 before, so not quite new territory, but obviously the goal is that this time around, the body comp will be even better than last time. Mm, for sure. And DY, mate, where are we at? Before we go too far, man, this... The RDL seems to be the bane of the existence for these BDU boys. That's Lauren, Jack now. Yeah. What, what have we learned? High injury risk. We've got to get them out. Just isolated exercises only for now on for the hammies. But Way before I do some curls only. Yeah, exactly. Lauren, how your... just twitching in his seat right now. <laughs> <just> like... Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's going to come in with no hamstrings and a poor read or a bicep, but no hamstring injuries. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Lawrence, how did you go with your hamstring injury? Actually, I wanted to touch on that because obviously, you know, that happened about what six weeks out. See, that's oh, why he hasn't been out. posting his rear shot to the. Yeah, public. exactly. Because <laughs> I've had it surgically removed the hamstring. Just get it out of there. Can't get injured if you don't got one. I could see the the extra mass added on that side that you had the uh, extra large muscle tear on too. That was a part of the game plan. We know. Yeah. Yeah. Muscle damage, muscle growth. So no, in all seriousness, it actually has gone extremely well. I would probably say that if I wasn't competing this week, this probably would have been the week that I would say it was back to hundred percent in terms of all my old movements reintroduced. Like I'm back leg pressing, I'm back doing some back extensions and that sort of thing. It's just that there's really no point loading them up this week because, you know, I'm only getting in one big leg session prior to the show and that was already on Sunday um so I'm definitely starting to to progress those like each week I'll just take the loading as it comes but yeah all, all fine now mate like I'd say that at this point um the only thing I was struggling with for a few weeks was actually more just like a bit of neural sensitivity through the back of the hamstring there which is quite common with hamstring strains like some people will just get a bit of that nerve irritation um but that seems to have settled down quite nicely and that's almost quite normal for me at this time of prep anyway, like sort of the back of my knees start to feel a little bit funny. It usually just happens and something I attest to just the fact that weird things go on when you get to weird levels of body fat. Um, but as far as it having any impact on the prep, certainly not much of an issue, but you live and learn. And I'm quite confident that whenever I get on stage again or the next time I prep at about that eight week mark, the RDLs will be coming out. And they'll be replaced with Olympic lifting, snatching, and um, yeah, all sorts of stuff. Do you think you psychologically primed yourself to injure yourself at the eight-week out mark? I know that sounds bizarre, right? But we've talked about, for example, explain pain and the whole concept surrounding like the pain experience and 
Uh, if you got to this aspect of your prep and you somewhat anticipated yourself that you may accrue an injury at this point, or you recalled that experience, like I wonder how how much that may have interplayed into into that. Mm. I mean, it's interesting how it's going to go in the future. I can definitely say no as far as the, this time around because that day when I was doing my RDLs, like it, it couldn't have been in a better position to not get injured. You know, like I, it was my first leg session back after a deload was feeling amazing. I did all my usual warm-ups. I did all my usual mobility, all my usual feeder sets. And I remember finishing the last feeder set of 160 and actually thinking to myself, that feels great, like felt perfect. So I wouldn't say there was any of that going into it because on the day I had absolutely no reservations about, you know, taking that set to the cleaners and giving it a good crack. But I think it's more just so me understanding now okay like when i get to this level of body fat at about five weeks out my musculoskeletal system is clearly just a little bit too fragile or maybe it's just my hamstrings are just not recovering as well by that point and they're a bit too fragile for me to be playing around with those sorts of loads and let's be honest like i mean i know we always talk about you know you can tell who does their heavy hip hinges when you turn to the rear and like i I think there's some truth to that but is, is it really going to make a difference whether or not I'm doing RDLs in the final five weeks of a contest prep as opposed to something potentially less injurious for my N equals one, such as a back extension? I, I'm going to say there's no difference at all. So, yeah. Mm. We'll soon find out, won't we? We will, mate. We will. Yeah. Give it three oh, days sure. time and we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I turn yeah. around to the rear, they're like, oh my gosh, he's never touched a barbell in his life. <laughs> You can tell. No, um, but in terms of back to me, I guess, uh, everything was going quite well. Like these other two boys, I ended up getting an injury. My suspicion was it was probably like an intercostal strain um, mm. just by some of the symptoms that I was experiencing in terms of like deep breathing and like more or less like bracing with certain exercises. So I definitely need to needed to play around with my training program. So um, anything chest and back was causing issues, just more or less like trying to brace through like the mid back was quite painful or anything pretty much supported. So like if I was to do an incline Smith machine bench press, for example, the pressure of that on like my mid back would actually cause issues. So I had to pretty much modify my training program a decent little chunk. It was pretty much delts and arms legs delts and arms legs delts and arms so it was the ultimate um split i felt like super superhuman when i was walking around doing it all the time but um obviously no fun chest and back but over the past couple of weeks it's been a lot better and i've slowly just progressed my loads up accordingly um and it's feeling quite solid so hopefully it's a smooth slate from here on upwards no more injuries i know it doesn't sound like it on the bdu podcast but um Hopefully, at least fifty percent of us will be moving uh, at a hundred percent very shortly. Mm, for sure, I'm just picturing these giant wheels and just these like giant flotation devices as like shoulders as delts because <laughs> you've been running this specialization volume for a period of time. Mm. I, I don't have the training intensity for the legs, but the arms are looking alright. So, <laughs> how good? What was your what's your thoughts be on on um? I guess sort of the approach to the final aspects of prep where when it comes to moderating perhaps exercise selection or, or things like that. And I guess you've probably had an experience with, you know, numerous competitors where some can retain heavy compounds all the yeah. way up until the day of the show. And a classic example of someone like that is Z, right? I mean, the man is incredibly strong. Uh, and then you've got, you know, perhaps other athletes that need to 
moderate their their exercise selection quite quite regularly or perhaps really tone down the volumes on these movements to to manage their recoverability yeah i definitely think there's merit to potentially opting for movement selections and have a better sfr coming in closer to the show uh, obviously recovery ceiling comes down but uh, your requirement for stimulus to retain muscle mass is quite possibly similar to that of the off season uh, so oftentimes we might go from something like incorporating deadlifts plus RDLs to going to a, from a conventional deadlift to a trap bar, from a trap bar to inco- uh, including uh, more RDL volume as basically the sole big posterior chain movement. And then perhaps you might modulate the the volume there. I mean, yes, incorporating a back extension is probably of a lesser SFR. The cardiometabolic response is less, central fatigue will be less. Um, there's less loading through the posterior chain. Can you hold on to muscle mass in that? Probably. Um, I would say that, but I would play it on a person-to-person basis. I mean, Z is a bit of an outlier. I mean, I seldom would I ever have someone doing what he's doing, but I mean, he's there at you know, two weeks out from the show and he's pulling 265 for floor at 72 kilos for like sixes. And he's like, yeah, that was pretty good. Man, that's crazy. You feel okay? Yeah, cool. He's just seems to be extra, exceptionally robust, whereas I'm not doing that. Uh, but I will keep in place, say, RDLs. But that volume might drop to, say, one or two sets instead of, say, four to five across the entire week for, for myself personally. But there's definitely merit to, to substituting your movement selections, even just as you get lean, as you know, your levers change. And it's almost like you need to reacquire the skill of a given free weight movement every single week. And that's inherently problematic for performance. So using uh, movement selections that... Uh, limit your degrees of freedom assuming you can get into a good position things like that most mm, 100% yeah great response and we we had a conversation uh not too long ago about sort of i guess that that whole premise of of training subjectively and and training intuitively in prep and you know you you put it very well that basically throughout the course of prep it's very common to have an athlete sort of approach you or, or myself or even for example you boys as well within a check in where it's Basically, the response is, hey, you know, this week I decided to kind of really ramp the volumes down and like maybe not the volumes, but I really, you know, pulled the load down. I just really wanted to feel the muscle like in in this particular session. Like, you know, I kind of feel like I've been training numb recently and like I dropped the load down, I increased the reps and I can just like feel the muscle now and it feels good. And I mean, you can explain this a little bit more uh, in depth, B, but, but we sort of both, I guess, agreed that there's that middle ground. And in a way, this kind of gives the athlete like a, an easy route out, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm not to take the limelight off the other boys here, but uh, I think the one of the things I think in the conversation we were having, one of the things we often observe is that obviously performance retainment is important, or better said, stimulus retainment is important, and performance plays into that. But we often get to a point in contest preparation where maybe someone's trying to hold on to their performance to the to the point at which technique degradation occurs, and perhaps they're not loading the tissues they want in an ideal manner, and then they get to a point where they decide, okay, I'm going to reduce my loads way back and just focus on feeling the muscle. And that's not necessarily a bad thing in a way, but you got to find that midway. And then they start, they get to the point where they go, I'm just going to focus on pumpy shit, so to speak, instead of actually pushing the envelope. And I, and then you, you take that too far to the point where uh, they're totally sensation-based and they've given, themselves, they've given themselves an out when it comes to doing the hard stuff. And unfortunately, at the back end of a condos prep, your rate of perceived exertion is so high. You know, standing off the toilet seat, it's like, yeah, did I just deadlift 60 kilos? That was hard. So if you give yourself an out, you're going to find yourself training at, you know, seven reps in reserve almost unknowingly. So you got to find that midway. Uh, sensation, I think, declines. I mean, it does decline by virtue of having low levels of 
muscle glycation at the back end of the condor's preparation. So you've got to take your objective in, you've got to take your subjective in, but to be too much one way or the other way is problematic. But it's a common trend we see at the back of condor's prep. Oh, I'm just going to focus on pumpy stuff now. And then you just watch their muscle mass dwindle away over a four to five week period there following. Mm. So it is such a, I guess, a fine line, isn't it? And I guess that's kind of where kind of like the, the art of coaching comes in to mm. coerce them a little bit around, okay, yep, you know, we can... We can really focus on sensation, but we can't really forget about load and, and intensity and, and that being, you know, incredibly important as well. Um, do you always have anything to, to add there? I guess, Lawrence, like, did you notice at any points in prep where it may have been easier to go down that route of just focusing on the feel as opposed to kind of finding that middle ground? Yeah, for sure, mate. I think that, you know, there's this there's this big push and pull between like, do we retain the performance or do we retain the tissue? And I think that's something where it's going to be very, individual specific but potentially even like body part specific so for myself personally i know that when it comes to like a squat pattern i can essentially do whatever i want and it's gonna feel good in my quads like it's always just been movements that have gone on well for me so i've still been able to keep in heavy hack squats sets of six to eight things like that still get a great stimulus no drums at all but i know that for other body parts maybe something like back or chest if i continue to just run a free weight press slowly and surely as the prep goes on i'm losing stability on the bench and i can just feel myself hoiking this up to try and match my logbook which i know is then me trading off its chest stimulus so there did come a point where almost all of my pressing then moved to machines and i think it's helped massively but that's just for my chest you know everything else has pretty much stayed the same aside from then removing the rdls for that injury management consideration but i think the way that i have analogized this before, which I think will be valuable to, to share with the listeners is if you imagine your bodybuilding journey is like a Formula One race. Now, if you want to be a very high level bodybuilder, we're constantly pushing the limits. Maybe yes, we are flirting a little bit with injury risk because we're taking sets extremely close to failure, even sets like hack squats, maybe even hip hinges, things like that. So that can be akin to a driver you know, for the majority of the race, they're really pushing it. They are trying to get every millisecond off their lap time as possible. But what happens when we get to the very end? You know, what happens when we get to less than three or four weeks away from a show? Or in the same sense, what happens when you get to the final lap of the race? Now, if that driver is in front and they're in a good position, they're still going to drive very freaking fast. But are they going to take those same risks? Are they going to dive into the corners the same way? just to get another millisecond ahead when they're already comfortably going to win the race. No, they're not. So I think we can approach that in the same way where you get to these final weeks of contest prep, you're still going to train hard. Absolutely. But do you need to train to that 110% maximal intensity? Is it worth that potentially small increase in risk to getting injured? Is that going to make a big difference in terms of retaining tissue in those final weeks? I would say not. So I think that there is something to be said for playing it a little bit safe in those last few weeks. I suppose it's mm. also movement specific. Certain movement selections come with a larger risk. And I suppose, like I was saying before, I mean, the goal is stimulus retainment and performance plays into that because your leverages are going to change. So you may have the less stability or maybe even an increase in range of movement when you lose fat mass around your knees and hips when it comes to movements like the squat press, for example. So stimulus retainment would be like the number one piece that performance plays you know, into it. 100%. Did you guys have anything else you want to add, Jack or, or DY? Not really. No, I think maybe just that reinforces that filming your sets on occasion is super important because 
again, it's probably just come subconsciously to people to make the movement more efficient as they get leaner and as their uh, rate of perceived exertion or uh, gets higher or they they don't want to push themselves as much. So uh, it's important to document how you are training because a lot of people, their range of motion is decreasing or their their concentric speed towards the end of the set is, is still quite fast, um, even though it might seem very slow to them. Mm, definitely. And I think it even plays into having, having a coach, uh, the merit of having a coach, right. Yeah. To be able to sort of relay this information to, to them and, and be able to communicate, okay, I'm not really getting a good stimulus from this particular movement. Do we, do you think it would be wise if I rotate this out or, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, instead, do we, do we move some volumes around, you know, things like that. So we can ensure our, I guess our best result within those final weeks of a, of a contest prep, but um let's get into can i um, derail the conversation very quickly i'll show you how i'm going to link this so we're talking about injuries in prep the day that i got hurt i bumped into dy in the bathroom and i've been actually meaning to bring this up for several weeks and i keep forgetting dy did you see the bloke come out of the shower and just be penis out while we were talking yeah and i actually walked in there the other day and i was uh grabbing my straps out of my bag and the same guy was in there again yeah just pull out me and Mm -hmm. dy are trying to debrief my hamstring injury and i Mm -hmm. I glanced to the side and a one-eyed monster glances Mm -hmm. back at me and it was it was very confronting it made the day a whole lot worse that's for sure yeah Mm, pain pain perception just went up oh mate yeah i I don't know about you i was a mess but my performance after it was like through the roof. So like, I don't know, I think it might've been the same with your recovery too. Cause like you were pretty much good to go within two weeks. So I don't know. Are you trying to, are you saying that, are you inferring that your arousal was a little bit lower after that experience? No, I was saying my training arousal was actually higher, like more PBs. Like it was, yeah. Phenomenal session. Didn't even have my headphones either. I was listening to Katy Perry through the radio. Yeah. Oh, moving on. What do you, what do we, what do we think? Should we, should we change topic here? All right. Let's, um, let's chat about some questions. We had some questions from our poll and the, the, the first question is actually a bit of a hard hitter, right? It's probably not the best podcast for us to, to discuss this kind of question. Cause I think we'll all have the same answer here, but uh, what are your thoughts on coaches recommending anabolic agents for first time women's bikini competitors? Uh, considering we had two natural competitors on the podcast just recently, uh, I'll throw this over to, to DY. What are your thoughts here? Well, for the first half of the question, which is like, do I think the coaches should be recommending it? Absolutely not. I don't think the coach should be putting themselves in the situation where they're suggesting it or telling the client that they need to do it for a said division. In the end, that's up to the client. And I don't think it should be even brought to them. Like, you know, if obviously the client goes to an enhanced coach and they like, you know, with all the, they, they already know what they want to do in their mind. And then they've asked the coach and the coach has given it like what they should do. Then that's a different story. But if the coach is coming out straight off the bat saying like, Hey, like you want to do IFBB bikini. Um, and this is what you got to take. And, you know, kind of forcing that upon them. I think it's the wrong situation now for a first time competitor as well. I'm a strong believer in the first time competitor should probably nearly compete naturally first. Um, Like, you know, dip your toe in the water. If you don't like it, um, well, Hey, you know, you never have to do it again. It's one of those things. It's like comp prep is a whole different beast. Like once you, once you do a prep, you're like, Holy shit. Now, if you're going to go into your first prep and you're a female and you're going to take androgens, 
there's long-term health effects with that and they're some of them are irreversible as well so you know if you're going to dive straight in the deep end maybe you do the prep you, you have a horrible experience now you've got all these side effects that are irreversible it's like you've kind of just jumped into something that you didn't even like and now you've got to suffer the consequences for the rest of your life you know so dip your toe in the water see if you like the actual side of competing do you love the training do you love the nutrition side of things do you love doing it for a prolonged period of time are you in it for the right reasons did you have a positive experience and then after you've dipped your toe in the water and you've said hey this is what i want to do and i want to now take it further and do ifbb or whatever it might be which might be an untested federation and you want to do really well at it and then you you know you obviously do your research and you more or less accept the consequences because there is no safe way to do uh, performance enhancing drugs or androgens, they've all got long-term health effects, regardless of if you were like compared to natties who enhanced, you're always going to suffer some consequences. Once you've obviously made that decision, you obviously do the education on that side, then maybe you can look at it. But I think for a first time competitor, always trying an enhanced preparation, like, you know, you could even argue that doing it naturally is probably even harder. So if you do quite well naturally, then maybe looking at going the enhanced route after it, then that's up to you. But for a first-time competitor, I think always staying natural. And like we said last week, like, you know, we had two phenomenal bikini competitors um, that, you know, have placed extremely well within the Opens division and have even been near in the top couple to get a pro card as a natural athlete for a bikini. Um, so, yeah, that's my take on it. 100%. No, I think you said that very well. And um, we had a very brief discussion about this off-air. And, Jack, you put, you, you, you put forth something really um, really well as well. And, and that's just based on the fact that, you know, I guess going down that route, route of anabolics is you potentially run that risk of kind of pushing a little bit too far, right? And, mm -hmm. and maybe you losing... You criteria less potentially. Yeah, 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 exactly. Not, not sort of fitting the criteria of, of the IFB, you know, IFBB bikini look. So uh, I think the natural route as a first-time competitor is always the best way to go. And of course, as us being natural, we're probably always going to recommend that that the route that we go down right <laughs> ultimately yeah i think we, we should definitely proclaim our biases on that side of things and then i will say up until probably five years ago i was perhaps a little bit naive to the uh prevalence of performance enhancing drug use in that category i was under the impression that like why would you need bikini uh, uh performance enhancing drugs for bikini to be fair the category has progressed a lot in recent years it certainly has uh, but I still don't believe that on the most behalf, it should merit taking these drugs. And obviously for females, the consequences of not doing, of doing that incorrectly are considerably, uh, they're inherently problematic by comparison to, to males. And one of the issues you're probably going to run into as a, anyone who, who dabbles in that side of things is uh, you don't necessarily know what you're getting. Realistically, it's going to be cooked in someone's bathtub somewhere and uh, for women, you know, they might think they're getting product A, you know, Anavar or whatever, and they might be getting uh, D-Bowl. And then they walk in the next day with a voice deeper than Daniel. And you're like, hey, what happened here? Where are your gains? Like, I don't know. I just got a deep voice and I'm going to the IFBB show. Like, that's a cool story, bro. You should probably have not done that. Uh, now you've got a 10-year ban from the WNBF. Go you. So we're biased here. But I just, I, I think on the most behalf, natural would be a great way to go. Another thing I would consider here as well is that uh which we did mention briefly off air is that, that if you're an enhanced coach like surgeons know how to cut that's what they do enhanced coaches know how to to push enhancement uh on the most behalf i can't put, I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush here but if that's what your coach is known for it's probably what they're going to recommend 
right? Hundred mm, percent, yeah. And I guess it always just comes back down to the onus of the coach to to do the right thing, the ethical thing, uh, regardless of whether you are a a natural coach or a enhanced route. Like you're always going to mm. preach doing the right thing and the ethical thing, regardless of its if its involvement is towards anabolics as an enhanced coach or even as a natural coach and you are recommending something in relation to nutrition you know you're still going to do things in, in an ethical manner um so yeah well said boys i think we've we've covered that quite well but uh question number two here is what are your show day do's and don'ts this is a pretty broad broad and generalized question here but i guess we can take it down whichever rabbit hole we want right so um what's the first thing that comes to mind for you lawrence Poo. Poo. Damn. Poo is a do, mate. You know, first thing is get that show day poo in. You know that. Mm. <laughs> if I'm means. being serious, I would say that my 100%, if there's only one thing, because I'm sure we're all going to have something to do here, is just keep stress low. I think that if there's probably one true physique killer, I think it is stress. Like if you're mm. running around, if you're on your feet, if you're just panicking or you just have like a stressed look you can see people backstage who look frazzled and who look stressed and if you can be chilling out relaxing and not running around too much i think those are always the the physiques that look best and i think there was a really interesting podcast on revive stronger recently talking about mike isratel and his latest prep and how you know the the overall plan looked pretty similar compared to his previous preps but he was just doing too much and his body was just under too much stress. And that resulted in a look that was, is pretty subpar um, for what he was expecting out of himself. So I think that harks home the message that, you know, regardless if you're natural enhanced, anything in between, if you can keep stress low, that is going to be one of the most important things you can do, not only for show day, but for the entire peak week. That was actually would have been the exact thing I, I would have brought up is that in general, but not just on the show day, but in contest preparation, when you're likely to exist in a sympathetic dominant state, my best recommendation is to be amped when you need to, be calm when you can, and be very cognizant of the manner of which you perceive the environment around you. Sometimes when you've got your comp prep goggles on and you're getting flustered about something that really doesn't matter and you know you can't read the label when you're in the jar, I'm like, take a moment, pull yourself out of your body, look in, inside. You're like, do I need to be pissed off the fact that I don't have egg whites? Like, no, I can separate egg whites, idiot. You know, like, and on a show day as well, it all except, well, that's, it's exceptionally important on that day. Be organized, get there two hours early, kick your feet up, put your headphones in, listen to something that soothes, soothes your mind. Now you're 10, you know, you're, you're 35 minutes out. It's time to turn, turn the volume up to 11. Now let's get amped and let's go. Yeah. Yeah. If I can just build on that, the, which is actually like an example from my life from literally the last week or so is that at the moment I'm waiting for a, a car like i'm waiting for a toyota that may or may not ever get here i'm not quite sure because in january i said that i had ordered it but my family yeah. and i were all chatting and like my girlfriend were there and they're like lawrence you like you need to follow this up like have you called them have you called them like oh this customer service is really bad you need to complain and i was like right now like i i don't care like yeah. that car could get to me in 2028 for all i care at this point like my main job this week is to be chilled is to be relaxed and yeah, I actually did call Toyota yesterday and I've just had a chat to them, stayed very calm. And I was like, hey, what's the oh. go? And they're like, hey, mate, you know what? This car's probably not going to be here, unlikely to be here this year. And I was like, okay, there's nothing I can do about it. So it's like, yeah, what? And, and that's my approach to things in general. Like, 
Um, mm. My dad's a little bit old school. So he sometimes says, oh, Lawrence, like, for example, if I was brought the wrong meal, if there was something wrong with it at a restaurant, like I'll normally just very calmly tell the waiter or the waitress, hey, you messed this up. Could I just get it changed over? And he always goes, oh, you're too nice. You're too nice. But I'm like, what? what is the point in getting upset? Like me mm. inflaming the situation is not going to help. And especially with where I am now, like this whole week, I've just been trying to stay as calm as possible. So I think that is something that is really good advice, B, is like, you know, almost go out of your way to just be a bit of a shaman in that final week. Just don't let things phase you. Try to be as prepared as possible, like have everything mapped out so that there's as few decisions to make as you can. And so that yeah. as little opportunity presents itself to cause any stress in your week. Yeah. And, I, you know, on the show day, sorry to keep to keep going on this, but, you know, on show day, I'm a big fan of modulating caffeine in the show day to modulate arousal. So if you're a high, if you're one of those people like this, I'm like, you don't need caffeine. Like you're really hyped. You're good to go. Um, you probably need the opposite in the two hours before you get on stage. Let's try and relax, you know? And then obviously if you have uh, someone we spoke about earlier today, Z, Z is super relaxed, the most chill guy. He's probably the guy I'm like, can you want to snort a line of caffeine and hydrus at 20 minutes out? Let's get going. So, but in general, I think that serves him incredibly well being so relaxed and just doing the work and letting it come, you know, it's, a good, it's definitely a good way to go about mm, it. Mm, 100%. Well said. Uh, what about you, Jack? Is there anything that, that springs to mind? Show day do's versus don'ts? Uh, I think a pretty basic one, definitely more so for the muscularity categories is just make sure you pump up really well. I see a lot of people who just don't time it correctly. So they're either too rushed and then they can only get in a few push-ups before they step on stage and then maybe other people who start pumping up weight like too aggressively too early, they start sweating, they lose the pump and then they have to regain it. So I think one timing it appropriately appropriately, and also actually getting a good quality pump across the muscles that you're displaying. And for example, in bodybuilding, like ideally not pumping up the lower body and that sort of stuff as well. Mm, no, that's a really good recommendation. I actually found with myself, it took me like a good stretch of time to get to where I needed to be at that, at that Queensland show to be a hundred percent on in terms of my condition, like my, my look. Mm -hmm. And I needed to start pumping up way, way earlier and way harder than what I anticipated in the tropic show. I feel anyway. Um, mm -hmm. And so I almost think you're better off to have a little bit more time to pump up than less, like just start that pump up a little bit earlier, even if it means, that you're, you know, pumping up at a three out of 10, you know, sitting at sort of an, an, an hour and, you know, 10 minutes out. And by the time you're sitting at half an hour out, you're pumping up at like a seven out of 10. And then by the time you're, you know, sitting at 15 minutes out, you are 10 out of 10 pushing it, really pumping up at that point in time. Uh, what do you, what do you think B? Is that something that you would typically recommend as well? I'd rather have longer than shorter. I think people got to keep in mind that uh, you're pumping up with five kilo weights or some crappy little bands. It's not the same as being in the gym. And when you're training in the gym and you get a good pump, I'd say you're probably training pretty hard. I mean, if you're training less then you know, if you're training like RAR six and like, you're getting a good pump, like probably not. You're probably gonna need to be like four and less. So when you work with bands, like, yeah, take some, take some time. I don't get me wrong. There's a, in this scenario, time is one of those things where some is good, more is better, too much is not good. I mean, you can spend so much time pumping up that you're quite literally effed. You're fatigued coming into the category. I'm like, oh, that's not very good. So there's got to be a bit of a midway, but I, I personally 35 minutes at least, but I think it's person dependent. If I have someone who seems to pump up really quickly and they can do it in 20 minutes, I'm like, you can do it in 20 minutes. Great. Why do I need 40 minutes? I don't, but for most individuals, you're going to need a bit of time. 
Yeah. Mm, mm, 100%. And I think some people just need to sort of get up a little bit sooner, even for the purpose of kind of churning through some nerves. Like if it's like personally, yeah. even myself, if I'm laying down at, at, you know, an hour out, like I will want to be standing up. I'll at an hour out, I'm headphones in, dumbbells in hand, like getting mentally ready for what I'm about to do. And at that point, I probably will start pumping up a little bit harder than maybe what's necessary because I just want to burn through some nerves at that stage. Uh, whereas I guess someone is, is, is completely different in perhaps their approach uh, to that as well. DY, my man, what, uh, what do's and do's do you, uh, do you recommend? I reckon one that's severely underrated is having a good tan. Like, you know, ensuring that don't be one of these people that do their own home job. They're sitting there and they got their Bondi sands extra dark and they put two coats on when you're underneath the stage light, it is not going to look good. You know, you have professionals there, um, an extra 50 bucks or whatever, then you might spend like, you know, you got BK's better half there, Rachel, that does phenomenal, phenomenal jobs with like tans, like in terms of like the muscle mud, if you need that for bodybuilding, she can help you out. And same with the sheet girls as well. Don't be one of these people that try and stinge on their tans because it will show there's so many times where I've sit, I've been looking, I'm like, this bikini girl looks really good. But if she had a better tan and actually mixed in with some of the others, she could have literally won the division. Even the same for like men's physique. I've seen men's physique tans. I'm like, that looks so bad. It's not even funny. And they've literally lost like first place and even overalls just because of their tan. And one other thing just to add there, which and I'm almost surprised that no one has brought this up, is that maybe it's not a good idea to deplete water for 12 to 24 hours before you actually compete. Uh, it's actually quite fascinating. Um there is a, a new piece of contemporary research looking at uh, intracellular versus extracellular fluid uh, in a eudehydrated and dehydrated state. And whilst dehydration did decrease the extracellular fluid, it also disproportionately depleted the intracellular fluid. And uh, that kind of plays into what I see in anecdote when I have a female, for example, who's a little bit too lean for bikini. I see in bikini, obviously IFBBs a whole lot leaner. I actually pull their fluid back and they tend to, they'll, they'll have this flatter, but also hazier look about them. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Okay. Now you're not as lean for this if we're running ahead. Right. But do you want that for bodybuilding? Absolutely not. And um, obviously you don't, you don't need to be hyperhydrated. The goal is to be euhydrated, but nonetheless, um, you know, purposely depleting fluids, I don't believe is a good idea, regardless as to what a paper that was published last year or the year before may have inferred. Mm-hmm. absolutely well yeah, i don't know about you boys but that's one of the most common like layman's questions that you get like when people know that you're a bodybuilder like this week at work i like a few of them go oh like so like do you stop drinking water like two days out like it's this kind of weird yeah. fun fact that like the general population knows slash believe about bodybuilding i was like oh no quite the opposite you know drinking a little bit more this week and not really going to do anything crazy until you're like a couple hours out in which you know, unless you're going to pass out, maybe just cut the water there. That's generally what we do. I'm assuming you boys would be the same. Yeah. You're not going to dehydrate in two hours doing not a whole lot, but a little pump up. You're good. You know. <laughs> mm. And speaking, of, I guess something that is a little bit bizarre in terms of like a tradition or maybe, maybe just a weird um, uh, reputation that, that bodybuilders have got is alcohol consumption the day before or on show day. Uh, this is actually a question in, in our poll. And I think this kind of segues really nicely, but uh, what do you think B is this something you've had experience with? We've seen competitors backstage chugging down a shot of vodka prior to, to jumping on stage. I've seen girls not probably not drink for six months and then go, I'm going to sink a half a bottle of red wine and then roll an ankle walking up the stairs. I'm like, Oh, that's embarrassing. Um, 
so yeah, I've seen that over the years. Uh, would I personally be consuming alcohol on the show day? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> I, I would not recommend it. Uh, certainly not. Obviously, you're introducing a variable of which you haven't really tested either. Uh, I believe the the rationale for its consumption is more a matter of a calming nerves, which makes sense in some ways, uh, and b its potential uh, as a as a diuretic. But I certainly would not go out of my way to recommend it. I don't know about you boys. What do you think? No, definitely not. <laughs> I've, I've never recommended it. <laughs> Again, there's that risk of it just uh, maybe just reducing intracellular uh, fluid pr- disproportionately to extracellular and then looking worse. And you got to also, because it also, pr- your body prioritizes alcohol metabolism as opposed to if you've eaten beforehand or you're still digesting carbohydrates and trying to mm-hmm. synthesize glycogen, then you're going to be getting rid of the alcohol first before your body worries about anything else. So. Mm, yeah. absolutely yeah yeah and i think at that at that point in peak week like where we don't want to introduce anything new right anything that like we haven't assessed and we haven't uh assessed the before and after result. and you know i mean unless that coach is is recommending alcohol you know two three weeks out and then assessing the before and after i mean i still don't see merit in that even if you were to test the results <laughs> yeah i mean we don't even recommend alcohol in the off season let alone in on show day yeah. i mean not that we don't recommend it it's more so just that alcohol doesn't really hold any benefits for for bodybuilding essentially yeah. other than perhaps social gains right in the off season yeah. on occasion on occasion yeah. but um the other question that i had here which again is a is a question in relation to kind of do's and don'ts but foods to outright avoid during your peak week what do you think dy is there anything that comes to mind there the one that I would pretty much probably rule out off the bat is sugar alcohols. A lot of people tend to have like a lot of GI issues in terms of like when they do consume sugar alcohols. And it's also one that I don't recommend throughout the entirety of prep nearly. So it's like, I wouldn't be throwing in a variable um, to my athletes that they haven't realistically played with. I know I'd probably say 90% of my clients, if I was to implement sugar alcohols, especially with a large amount being females, chances are they're going to have digestive issues, GI issues, bloating and stuff like that. So I'm one of them people that I just wouldn't muck around with it. Like, you know, there's so many other food sources that you could go with. Why, if you're carving up, why have sugar-free maple syrup where you have the real deal? It's going to get digested a whole lot easier. I'll tell you that. Definitely. Definitely. What about you, Jack? Anything comes to mind? Uh, I'd say pikelets, I think. Yeah. I've noticed a one-to-one water attentive ratio normally. <laughs> why are pikelets? Why, why, why has that come to mind? He knows exactly why. Yeah. Because I uh, consumed morning, some pikelets this morning. Yeah. Which is my peak week tradition, DC. I always start the carb yes. load with Actually, uh, I do some recall. Pikelets. I do recall some pikelets being consumed this morning on a story. Well, I suppose the test will be when I wake up tomorrow and send you boys pictures. If I just look, mm-hmm. oh no, he's 11 weeks out. It's like, all right, boys, turns out that WMVF is going to be the first show of the season. I've gone completely backwards. Well, if yeah. you combined it with sugar-free maple syrup, it kind of like equals out. So you should probably be all right if you consume that. Yeah, and I, I think going off uh, DY's point, one of the hardest aspects for me, I'll relate this to myself in my last prep, was actually just not not necessarily the sugar alcohols because I didn't really consume any of those in the prep, but more so just actually going kind of... Uh, very single-mindedly on lower volume low residue carbohydrate sources like i was still like this isn't even too bad but i was using wholemeal flour and like i 
ideally I would have preferred white flower looking back. And although my mid midsection was, I think, completely fine on, on show day, like I, I think I would have liked to have seen myself go all in on sort of the nutritional approach in peak week. Um, Cause that was holding me back a little bit. And obviously I recommend to my clients that like they ideally don't consume like high residue food products in, in not necessarily in peak week, but more so the days leading up to the show. Yeah. Yeah. You know, on, on that, not to go off topic. Um, obviously it makes absolutely it makes logical sense, particularly if you're doing a, a shorter load that you want to promote, you know, you want, you do want a hyperinsulinic response as well. If you're doing a 24 hour load, which I don't think most of us do, but obviously just reducing food volume is a good idea in general for abdo control. Um, one of the things I found it or consider is a time and day that individuals on stage only because I find if we have say, if we pull volume too low, then there's a higher possibility of non-adherence proceeding that show. It's always one of the things I want to factor in if someone's quite hungry and they're like, yeah, okay, we're going to pull that volume right down. But makes, but absolutely in general, on, on, it's a good idea to pull volume down. Just a bit of a side tangent, by the way. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would on that note as well, like someone being non-adherent, like it, I mean, I totally get that, but also at the same time, there's so much, you're so close. Like it would be a shame to be non-adherent that close. It would be a shame, but, I but it does happen, it, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, for an individual like like all of you guys who conduct yourself like a pro through and through, uh, you can rationalize whatever for the result. Uh, and on the most behalf, we all work with individuals like that. But I dare say that it's something you want to obviously uh, can consider, right? Mm. Absolutely, for sure. Well, uh, moving on to the next question here, is a calorie deficit slowing down the healing process when injured? Injured? Uh, is it better to transition into a maintenance phase? What do we think, B? What are our thoughts there? Well, I can give you the textbook answer uh, that was actually put forward to me within my master's degree, which is essentially that if we want to optimize recovery, we want a few fundamental components, potentially looking at restoring energy availability, protein sufficiency, and obviously pulsatile protein dosing. Uh, potentially looking at some products like fish oil, maybe beta-hydroxymethylbutyrate, which is really old school, but just because there's potential benefit there as an anti-catabolic agent, maybe, maybe, maybe. And then maybe looking at, depending on the nature of the injury, vitamin D, calcium, maybe collagen. Uh, but in theory, it makes sense, but obviously you've got to work within the realms of what's practical in real time. And through the middle of contest preparation, Lawrence is six weeks out. Is he going to restore energy availability and sit at maintenance for six weeks? Like, no, he's not. He's going to do what he needs to uh, within the constraints of continuing to produce a result. But he can optimize protein intake, which is dare, I dare say is already optimized. He can optimize his protein dosing and then maybe look at supplementing some of the aforementioned components, which he's probably already doing. Mm, definitely. I guess the answer might be a little bit different if it was someone who was in a you know short mini cut phase and they've injured themselves and they have the ability to kind of exit that. But yeah, in the diet condition, it's it's not something that you can just put a put a stop sign up and just rest and recover for however long it takes. Uh, I also think postpone the show. Yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. I just contact Jason. Hey, man, I'm injured at the moment. Do you mind pushing the show back by six weeks? No, no, no worries. Um, I also think like the the magnitude of the injury as well, right? So how how much does it actually impact the your ability to load the target tissue if it's you know let's say a wrist injury, but you can somehow work around it on some of your pressing based movements, performing more fly variants, you know things like that. Uh, perhaps the magnitude of which it um, it affects the I guess your training and healing process, et cetera, may not be as, as, as large as well. So I guess that, that's how that really interplays there too. But um, I'm going to round out the podcast today with probably the most important question. And um, I'm sure the listeners will really enjoy this one, but uh, what would be your bikini colors if you were female? 
Let's, uh, let's start with you, D.Y., because clearly... Mm. <laughs> what, are you, what are you alluding to here? Nothing, man. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, if I was blonde, it would be red, but I'm not blonde, so it would have to be a dark blue. Beautiful. I can picture it right now. Mm. I'll send you pictures. Mm. Peak arousal is, um, is you know, lowering. <laughs> what about you, Lawrence? What's the color? Once again, I think it is it is hair color dependent because I think I on a, a dark haired female, I think a red does look very nice. Um, one might even say an Arsenal red, but you know that's just me. Um, but I I reckon I also do like a, a light blue. Like I've got a an actual a light blue pair of trunks for ICN States this year, which I really like. I think it's probably one of my favorite colors that I've had. So I think I'd probably get that on my bikini if I was maybe of lighter hair. So yeah, I'll say red or, or light blue. Mm-hmm. And Jack, what, what would be the, the color of choice? I'm um, going with black, I think. Just black. a matte black, yeah. You don't see a lot black of black bikinis bikini. on, on stage, do you? Mm. Well, you won't no. be seeing me on a bikini stage. So I think that's a fair answer. <laughs> <episode. laughs> perfect, perfect comeback. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, what about you? What about you, B? What's the color? Uh, color I tell you what, I mean, purple is my favorite color. You know this, uh, but I, I'd probably go with the two. I'd probably go with two color. I'd go with uh, probably something that has a bit of shine, either a dark purple through the center section. Oh, here's me thinking about it too much. I'm like, yes, and then I would get something, something that gives me a bit of sparkle across the edge, and I'm like, hey, there you go. That's me. Okay, <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't say the um, like the classic BK trunks, like the black with like the little like lightning of yellow or green or whatever it is i feel like all your competitors wore that for like a section of like five years there there was i haven't worn those since 2016 but i did love them uh and if you followed the 2019 season uh be shout outs all for me for sponsoring for that set that for me uh us for that season i had a different set of trunks for every show i had like the purple then i had pink and then i got there's so so many different sets of trunks i do like color Absolutely. Yeah, and all of those um aforementioned trunks from BK are actually up for sale, listeners. So um just slide <laughs> into our DMs and we're gonna be holding a auction for those. So um mm, I yeah, don't believe they've been washed either, right? Well, yeah, if you're willing to like pay for a bit of a premium, BK will train legs in them uh before selling them. So <laughs> don't laugh, that niche is out there. Uh OnlyFans uh link. Uh, in bio so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah 100 people will be coming after you lawrence after this show now that you well, hope so mate these uh these shows aren't going to pay for themselves yeah. neither will that car no sir <laughs> <laughs> how good and uh i think i might go with like a beige just so i look naked up on that stage and I'm, I'm hopefully getting more more looks in my direction and therefore you know kind of swaying the the judge's perspective yeah. i guess <laughs> Good strategy. I like that. <laughs> mm, mm, 100%. Well, uh, that is basically the wrap up for today's episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Thanks again for joining us today. If you love today's episode, remember to give us a subscribe and an awesome review, and we will certainly see you in the next episode. Bye.